This is a podcast about failure. With me, Lola Berry, author, nutritionist, and yoga teacher. Join me as we get to know these guests and learn about how their failures have ultimately shaped their dreams. Welcome to Fearlessly Failing with Lola Berry. Hello, I'm really pumped for today's guest. I'm going to be honest with you, I was pretty nervous to interview this powerhouse. Today, Samantha Wills is on the podcast. She has just bought out a brand spanky new book of Golden Dust, which I literally, I want to say I gorged, like I, I consumed it very, very quickly. We'll cover this book in Book Club on Friday's episode as well. And in this chat, it is, oh, I want to say like it's a celebration of Samantha's journey and she's all about telling your own story. I think you're going to get loads from this. I found it really inspirational and I hope you do too. Samantha Wills. It is such an honour to have you here today. I have been not just consuming and binge reading your book. Your book, can we just start with, of Golden Dust. First of all, you look frigging phenomenal oh, on the front thank cover. Thank you. Look at my, I've got like highlighted, <laughs> I get the, like a highlighted notes. I've got my favourite pages marked. Oh, thank you. I had, to be honest, like with this book, I didn't know what to expect. I was like, oh, is it going to be like an entrepreneur's story or because... As you were saying in the lift, we met probably, do you want to, would it be like eight years ago? I'm going to say eight. Yeah, it feels like a long time ago in another life. Which, to be completely honest with you, I'd forgotten about, but the moment you mentioned it, I was like, oh, my God, I remember being back. <laughs> I remember seeing you on stage. Yeah. And I remember being really intimidated by you because I was like, she's got it all together. You've got, and that's what I have absolutely loved about your book. You are so vulnerable. And then I was like, I've got to just deep dive and stalk Insta. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, you are vulnerable. That is just part of your whole thing. Um, one thing I've got to ask you about the book before I get into um, this interview, you recently posted a photo of your dad reading this book yes. to your 96-year-old grandma. No, no. I like teared, teared up looking at that. I know. It's very sweet. So my dad read it himself and then, you know, got all emotional about it. Then obviously my nan, um, she's quite old, so she can't see that great. So he went over and read it to her and then cried all over it. And it was just lovely. So, yeah, it was very special. I love in your caption you wrote apparently like your dad's like, you need to be patient and wait, yeah. that bit's going to come. My nan's like, well, when, when does this bit happen? And he's like, well, let's just be patient. Huh? <laughs> Do you know what got me really excited about this book? I was uh, watching your Insta stories and someone was like, oh, my God, I've just binge read this till like 1am. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is my kind of book. I love a book that I cannot put down. Well, I've never, I haven't heard the term binge reading about this, so <laughs> I love that. Thank you. I think as an author, as you know, you know, it's the biggest compliment when someone can't put it down. And I'm a fussy reader. So if I'm not into a book, you know, three or four pages in, I'm like, I'll pop that on the to be read table and never really get back to it. So I really wanted to write a book that I wanted to read and that's been received really well, I feel. Yeah. And it feels like I, I went from doing that speaking gig with you, feeling intimidated by, you know, all this success to now being like, ah, like me. Yeah. Oh. So <laughs> that one of my favourite early parts of the mm. book, we're just going to end up talking about the book because you share so much of your life and your journey is um, your first love and first heartbreak. Mm -hmm. And I was like, at tw it was, I think you were 23, that yeah, real. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I know that feeling. Right. That first. It's awful. It's awful. And as you shared it, it and and um, if you don't mind, I'd love to hear you share a little bit here on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Like you kind of let your self-care go because you were just so heartbroken. Yeah. You had such a beautiful bestie, Melanie, yeah, who was Mel. just putting yeah. tea and toast at your yes. door. And then your, I think your mum intervened and was like, hey. Yeah, so it's like, you know, in that first heartbreak where you're just not equipped to deal with it, right? Yeah. Like you haven't had that experience before and your world just falls apart. And at this point I just moved into an office, um, yeah. you know, from my dining room table out to an office. And I just couldn't even, I could barely get out of bed. You know, I, and I say that about 
the heartbreak, but also that was probably, you know, a year and a half into the, the startup process. Yes. And so it's all, it all kind of compounds in, you know, at the same yeah. time and really like floors you. Um, and, you know, the body just, it just goes into, like you said, like lack of self-care, but just like this turmoil inside and, you know, it's, it's hard to keep food down. Yeah. My hair was falling out in yeah. patches, the stress of it all. It was just, it was a, it was a rough patch yeah. <laughs> to say the least. As you were saying that and you're like, you know, I haven't even mentioned your frigging incredible career. Your my actual first memory of you is purchasing your incredible jewelry, but the box the that it came box. in the wooden yeah. box, and it just felt like. And you wrote this actually in your book, a Jumanji piece of yeah. you know, but beautiful and otherworldly. That's a really good way to describe it. And I wanted something that was different and was just that wow factor. And I think when a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, I'll buy the jewellery and then install when someone's like, oh, you get this box with it, they're like, what? Like that's a – so it just was this um, surprise and delight was a true element of, yeah. of those boxes. But, yeah, they're they're a signature for us. And before your time, like surprise and delight now, like as an Instagrammer and – uh, you know, you'll get sent stuff and it's beautiful and right. I've seen your media book packs, so you get candles. Like it's 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 very much surprise and delight. Yeah. But I feel like you were kind of the OG of that kind of uh, it's an experience from the moment like and and it then like fast tracking. I warned you before we start press go on this podcast that my timelines I'm, I like uh, it. Go back <laughs> and forth. Jump around. But um, you'd given it to a mate, you were mate. Well, I presume you're still up at Fuzzy for video yes. hits, and she was interviewing Pink, and you're like, "Oh, can you just neck minute like Pink's right. opening up?" So, and I was a huge, and still am a Pink fan, but back then was a huge yeah. Pink fan. So to have that opportunity, Faustina was you know, presenting on video yeah. hits. I was like, "Hey, babe, do you mind if I send some stuff over?" And so I couriered it over. And anyone knows when you're couriering stuff around Sydney, it's in like a dirty paper bag. You staple yeah. it with a thousand yeah. staples. Yeah. Like it's not a cute gift, right? And so I th- I was querying it to her thinking she'd give it to Pink, you know, if she was able to yeah. after the interview yeah. or, you know, thanks for coming. And then so she's doing the interview. She's like, all right, just before you go, I've got something for you. Picks the bag up off the ground, the courier bag with all the staples, the like hand, like just mess, hands it to Pink. Pink opens it because the, the the mic was so close to the bag. Like you just hear these thousand staples like, <laughs> like go flying everywhere. And then, yeah, she picks the box, the wooden box out yeah. of the bag and she literally holds it up to camera. She's like, wow, this yeah. box, what a gift. <laughs> and Fuzzy was like, oh, no, there's jewellery in there. And then, you know, when you're addressing singers, they're always holding the microphone yeah. so the ring's front and centre. And I had was, never thought of that. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> so we – and then Pink, you know, as I share in the book, very graciously her her people contacted yes. my people, at the time my people being me, <laughs> and they're like, Pink loves – you know, she wants to buy the whole collection. I was like, oh, my God, I will send it to her, like, as a gift. yeah. And she was like, no, she wants to pay for the whole whole collection. And as a young designer, I just, the integrity of that has mm. stayed with me for life. And even if you think about Pink with Bushfires, I'm pretty sure Pink was one of the biggest supporters yeah. of like what was going on in Australia then as was, well. Australia's like her second home. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Okay. I need to go back to the beginning. Okay. I've listened to a few pods with you and being, I'm a bit of a 90s child. We're similar age, you know, similar ages. I'm a bit of a 90s child as well. And I was like... When you said at school, I think grade five, Chicago Bulls were massive and you were doing beaded bracelets in grade five. (laughs) I love it. And then so I guess what I want to explore is like early on you were passionate, whether you realise it or not, you were like super creative Mm -hmm. and you describe yourself as a storyteller, which I love. But I feel like would you agree that early on you were kind of always like creating yeah, stuff. I was. I think I very alone was. I don't ever remember like being like. I think I'm entrepreneurial now. Like I think I was born firstly with entrepreneurialism, and then creativity just was was my lifeblood. Yeah. So I think when those two met, un, you know, unknowing to me, like when I'm selling Chicago Bulls bracelets yeah. in grade five, you know, I remember even when I was three or four years old, like pulling all the stuff out of my mum's pantry and trying to set up a cafe and selling it back to her. Yeah. So kind of. <laughs> You know, it wasn't just the creative for me. It was it was how do I monetize this in a way or like what's that what's that angle? So. Can you share the story? And your dad sounds like a real hoot as well. And his nickname for you is Poss, Poss right? Yeah, Possum Pie. And, <laughs> and you cleaned the front of it out yeah. the front of the sign, and you're like, well, that's just 
Well, so my parents had a uh, clothing store and, you know, when you're 12, I had a little jewellery stand on there that I'd hand make jewellery yeah. and then when you're 12, you're just like, this is so boring, you know, I don't want to be here on the weekend and obviously mum and dad are working really hard and dad's like, well, you know, stop your whinging, go and make yourself bloody useful, like go and clean the sign on the roof. So it's like one of those outdoor strip mall kind of things yeah. opposite a McDonald's type of vibe. So it's like 16 stores in this outdoor mall. And so I'm like 12 years old, get up on this <laughs> slanted tin roof with soapy water and a, and a sponge and I'm scrubbing away. I'm like, gosh, it's, this sign's really dirty. Like it's a big sign. I'm like, gosh, it's really dirty. So I'm scrubbing, scrubbing, get to the middle of the sign, kind of like a before and after. And my dad comes out and I was like, dad, like, look how dirty this was. He's like, oh, wow. Yeah. You've done a great job. It's going to look really great when you're finished. And I'm like, no, I, I am finished. He's like, you've only done half the sign. And I was like, no, 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 I've done half my free trial. If you want the rest of the sign clean, it'll be 20 bucks. He's just like, you little shit, like get off the roof. Like, oh, my, getting in trouble. So I, you know, cleaned his sign. But then I, my eye caught all the signs, you know, of the other so stores dirty. along. Yes, yeah, so I was like, went down and cleaned half of every sign in there, then ran into the store. I was like, you know, Mrs. Baxter, come out and have a look at how clean your sign could be. Amazing. And then everyone except one store, yeah, paid their 20 bucks. So I didn't one person like go, I'm going to call the police. Yeah, pretty much like run, run kid. I'm like, what a brat I was, but yeah. And my favourite bit is on the way home with dad, you're yeah. like, hey, you owe me 20 bucks. Yeah, and he's like, well, you owe me, you know, rent for the ladder yep. and water rates and soap rates and, and transportation. He's like, 20 bucks should just about cover it. So I'm, I'm convinced he still owes me that 20 bucks today. So. <laughs> but that does show like at such a young age that you had this like drive and this kind of like, there's a survivor kind of method, like mm. there's and I and like hearing and reading about like you're so open about lows in the book, which mm. is uh, unreal to read because it it really humanizes you. <clears throat> but you still always every time you fall, you get back up. But I think when you well, I know when I was had fallen and the, the many times I do talk about, it, I didn't think I was going to get back up. You know, in those moments, yeah. like I think you know, as I've gotten older you're like, okay, this will pass. It's really shit now, whatever whatever mm. it is, personal or professional. But a lot of those times I'm like, this is it. Like I'm going to stay on the ground forever because you just didn't have that perspective to to look outside of it. Oh, and when you're in it, it feels like, it feels like rock bottom. Right. Okay, so much fun stuff. I'm, I'm <laughs> First of all, I love that anyone that's like, okay, overnight success, talk to me about it and you're like, oh, yeah. 12 years. I love that you said that because even people me like, oh, what's, you know, I want to do it. And I'm like, mate, you got to cut your teeth. Totally. you got to do the time, the yeah. blood, the sweat, the tears. And like uh, the thing that blew me away was like reading your book, you're like you'd get an order or you'd sign up to do Fashion Week and then be behind on so much other stuff. You'd be up to 4.30 a.m. Yeah. often. Fingers Bleeding. like, yeah, because you're doing it all at one stage on your kitchen table, yeah? I mean, I was doing it all on my kitchen table for three years. That was the first three years of it. And, you know, and as I share in the book, I knew how to build a brand, but at 22 and 23, I did not know how to run a business. Yeah. So I kind of, you know, built the profile of the brand and then essentially found myself in $80,000 worth of debt because yeah. I, I didn't have a business structure behind it. And I can relate to that. Like I've had businesses go under and, you know, but the uh, this is where I was like literally like, devouring and turning the page, being like, oh, my goodness, what's she going to do? Someone offered to bail you out of the debt and was mm -hmm. like, I want all I want is 51% of your company. Yeah, and I think at the time, you know, so when I talk about $80,000 debt at that age, it like sits on your chest at oh. night. When you get up in the morning, it moves to your shoulders. And I'm at that point, and as I said before, like laying on the on the floor, not being able to see out of it, your perspective is like a field mouse where you're like, all right, well, I just – I just need to get out of debt. That's all I need to do. And so this, you know, person came along. I was like, you know, I can help you. I can help you with the PNL. I can help you with all the things I needed. I'm yeah. like, great. So he sends the contract over and he's like, um, you know, you know, I'll get you, I'll pay off your debt for 51% of the company. I'm like, fantastic. Great. Sign the contract. And, you know, as I, as I weave through the book and um, oh. it was a really, it's a, to look back in hindsight of that journey and, and join the dots. But, you know, it's very serendipitous that the phone yeah. rang the following day after I signed the contract. I was meant to hand it back in, in a week's time. The phone rang and then that was a different path that oh. I ended up taking. But, yeah, it's um, the universe jumps in just <laughs> usually at yeah. the last minute but always at the right time. So. Because, like, at that age as well and that debt would have felt like a life. Yeah. Like you would have been like, oh, my God, that's like Even now, if cars. I was in $80,000 debt now, I, uh, it'd be you know, overwhelming. it would be overwhelming not – because I think it's overwhelming when you don't know 
how to get it. Like I'd know more so how to get out of it now, but back then I had no idea. Yeah, a thousand million percent. And I think that's what I love about your story, sharing that real startup. And and there's a moment where you share you were running on five credit cards mm-hmm. and you were literally at the checkout like try, like, try this one, try this like one. Like a blackjack dealer, just like, you know, dealing cards there. So, and yeah. you said like I could feel the heat coming up around my neck and I was like, oh, like that feeling would have been, especially at 26, and right? And you know how like everyone's like looking at you yeah. and you're like, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's consuming. Oh, again, like I don't know where to go because I'm so excited to have you, but I do want I have to talk to you about Jeff, right? Yes. So this is where you were like this serendipitous moment. Mm-hmm. I love how you'd had this incredible meaning, but Jeff basically had taken you out for to this like for chips and. Uh, so so Jeff ended up yeah being my business yes, partner. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and yeah, serendipitously, someone that I used to work with called on the Saturday after I signed the contract, yes. but hadn't handed it back. Correct. And was like, "Can you come? You know, we're looking for a women's jewelry range. Yep. Um, you know, at this point, I'm eighty thousand dollars in debt. He's like, "We probably can't. You probably are rich and famous now. We probably can't afford you." And I'm like, "Mate, you pay me with a loaf of bread, and you can afford me at yeah. this point." So I went up, met Jeff, um, and I just wrecked recognized in him just a brilliance of a business mind. And yeah. yeah. He had no filter either, oh, which he's got, I still love. still got no filter, yeah. And didn't you say to him like, oh, I can sign this contract, all my problems are gone, and he's like mid-chewing his sanger and he's yeah, like. He chokes on his chicken sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, they only want 51%. And he was just like, if you sign that contract, it'll be the fucking dumbest thing you ever Correct. do in your life. I, I, I Oh, I love – I'm like the whole way through, I'm like, oh, my God, Jeff, you're phenomenal. Like because <laughs> skipping not, not far past there, you say to him, I'm a creative, not a businesswoman, and he turns to – I think this is just at the first after the first Hong Kong trip and he says, for what it's worth, my observation of you is that there's a whole world inside of you that you don't really – that you really underestimate. And I'm like, oh, imagine having someone telling you that at yeah. that age. Yeah. And did he truly reject you 14 times? Like a 1,000%. Like hard really? no, hard no. Even when he said, I'll think about it, that's still not a yes, but I was like, I'll take that as a half yes and just proceeded. <sighs> yeah. So I asked, yeah, so I'd asked him, yeah. you know, for 14 times. I was like, I don't want a cent from you. I just want your business mind in my in my company. And he was like, absolutely not. Like your business looks like the type of business where the accounting's run out of a shoebox. Yeah. I was like, absolutely what it is. Yeah. So I need to help. He's like, no, no, no. And so I took a contract role designing uh, for a company that he had. And so I would see him, you know, every week or every second week. And I'd always stick my head in the office like, what about now? If you thought about it now? He's like, no, no, no. And on the 15th time, he's like, oh, my God, I'll think about it. And I was like, I'll take that as a half yes. And I signed 30% equity over to him. And we didn't put a cent of outside money in for the following 11 years. It was, oh, yeah. what a... <laughs> And there's a photo in the book of you giving him a cake, mate, that looks like a a money money bag. bag. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, amazing. Oh, he, I really love the sound of like, I I was like, imagine someone coming into your life at that stage where it could have gone either way for you. Like, yeah. And look, I will say, because I get asked a lot, like, how do you find a business partner? How do you find mentors like this? And um, and he hates the term mentor. Like if anyone asks him to mentor them, he's like a hard no. Like I don't, you know, it's yeah. it's a dirty word to him in a way that yeah. Um, and I think everyone in our life can be a mentor, right? Like no matter where we're at, everything, everything's, everyone's got something to teach us. And I truly think when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And it doesn't always appear in the form we think or hope it might. So yeah. just keeping our awareness open um, that, you know, it's always presented to us in, in different types of ways. And I always think my therapist taught me that teachers can be really positive things mm-hmm. in your life, but they can also be like, your heartbreak was a teacher. Like the biggest teacher. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Okay, so you're, things are going amazing. You're, uh, this is the, the one that blew me away. You're dressing so many incredible, we're talking A-list celebrities here with your incredible creations, your jewels. Mm-hmm. T-Swift. T-Swift, I loved her. Oh, my god! I know how much you love Taylor Swift. I am <laughs> such a Taylor Swift fan and I was back then but like, like now I'm like, have you watched the doc? Oh, you've obviously watched, I, yes, like I watch fifteen it the times. It comes out. Like, I just think she's 
I mean, her music aside, I think obviously I love her music, but I think just her integrity, the creative way, you know, this could go on a whole T Swift tangent. Go so I'm going to no, no, wind enjoy. myself back. But yeah, so, you know, when women like her, Beyonce, oh. tell us, like, just the incredible women we were able to dress still today is very surreal. Yes. Did you, and I have to ask this because I have, a, I love New York City and Los Angeles. I just, I love America. So, like, reading your story, I'm like, oh, it's possible, you know. Uh, but, when you heard about Patricia Fields, yes. were you just, can you take me through like getting that email and like, yeah. and so, for people that don't know who Patricia Fields is as well. Right. So it was around 2009, I think it was, um, we were in LA doing uh, style suites. So you go into like a hotel room, for example, set up for the day and have all stylists come through. You might see like 40 or 50 stylists a day and just present their collection. And this gentleman came through and he's like, oh, you know, my, my boss can't be here. I'm a styling assistant, which is very common. Um, we're shooting something. Can I just pull a few pieces? And when yeah. you're loaning to, whether it be a, a magazine or a, a TV show or whatever, you just don't expect the pieces to come back because, you know, they have so many call-ins. Yeah. So you're actually budgeting in PR samples at that yeah. point. So I was like, yeah, no, sure, take it. Then a year passes and we actually get a card in the post, like a, a greeting card that had an illustration of the four Sex and the City characters on it. And yes. um, it said inside it said, one hand in the air for the big city, thanks for making us look so pretty. And, you know, we started to put all the pieces together and it was actually Patricia Field, who is the stylist on Sex and the City, it was her assistant that had called in these pieces. Yeah. And so we get this card and I'm like, wait, does this mean like we, we're in the film? Like what, what you know, what does yeah. it mean? And literally I'd, we didn't know until, you know, I sat in the cinema on the opening no. night of it. Now, if any, it's Sex and the City 2, the film. Now, if anyone who's seen the film, it's shit. It's an absolutely terrible, awfully <laughs> horrible, right. horrible film. <laughs> but for a brand and for us to have it in there, it was just such a, you know, put us on the international stage. It put us alongside brands like Chanel, Manala Bonnet, Louis Vuitton. We're in the coffee table book for every outfit. Like it was just such an incredible business move. Celebrity aside, business move for us, that was we just couldn't have bought that opportunity. Oh, I love how you were like, the second one's not as good as the first one. But oh my we're God, it's in it. terrible. <laughs> and now they're like bringing back this. I'm like, just let it be. Just Who's let your favourite Sex and the City character? I mean, I – Always it was Carrie, I think. But now, so now I'm like, Miranda. Miranda knows what's up. That's the one we should have been listening to. Yeah, so I'm yeah, going to yeah. say Miranda. And that's who we were able to dress. I know. So those like, earrings. Oh. Yeah. And it was it was great because it was the scene where the costumes were the longest on, on um, screen. Yeah. And then it was the still that they used for um, of the four of them with oh. our earrings. So, oh. Yeah. And anyone, if you get the book, you'll get to see that. You'll get to see an image of it. <laughs> yeah. And the and the card you got sent as well. Yes. Which is so, Still so gorgeous. Yeah. I have to ask because I used to binge watch this show and and I think you were from reading your book, I think you're a fan of it as well. Rachel Zoe. Oh my gosh. Yes. I I just sit there and um, watch it on my iPod, yeah. <laughs> which is like the size of a postage stamp trying to watch it. And I would take notes. I was like, well, who's she meeting with? What's she doing? How did she build this part of her business? I was obsessed. Yeah. So so how did it get to Rachel though? Because it went through you met an amazing so in America it's a little bit different to us Australia, isn't it? You kind of go through an agency to get yeah, Today's which would be more. kind of the same here, but it's yeah. a celebrity services, obviously, you know, especially in LA, there's a, you know, that's the entertainment industry. Yeah. So you employ a celebrity services agency who then works with stylists yeah. who then place it on their clients. Yeah. Um, and so I had met um, my now dear friend, Annalise Peterson, who I met in LA and she was yeah. very, very connected. And, you know, I hadn't told her that I was a big fan of Rachel Zoe, but, you know, she sends me this email one day. She's like, oh, hey, Smother, like, have you heard of Rachel Zoe? Yeah. She's, you know, she's placed a ring on Eva Mendes. Like, and I was like, wait, what? Like, yeah. when the image, you know, it was 2008 at that time. So I'm like, the image took seven years to download. But I'm like, oh, my gosh. And there's Eva Mendes wearing uh, our Bohemian Butter ring, which is a big teardrop-shaped ring. And <gasps> that placement, um, since she wore that ring the, from the day it was published, I think, in OK Magazine, I think we had it in over here. It was at the top of our bestsellers list for the following 10 years of the business. We did it in over 360 colorways. Yeah. Uh, we moved nearly 1 million of yeah. them through the business. It was it just it changed not only the trajectory of the company but of, of my life. So, yeah. And then oh. to have Rachel Zoe do that placement was just the best. Oh, I, you're making me want to binge watch that show all over again. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Okay, so... I want to talk a, bit, a little bit about, and you, you're so phenomenal uh, in the book about just being 
you kind of rip down the facade of the Instagram filter basically of like life is perfect Mm -hmm. and um, you're the same on podcasts. You're like I was in Tulum with my friends Mm -hmm. posting all these like gorgeous photos but I was riddled with anxiety. I was on Xanax. Yeah. Yeah. Which doesn't go well with tequila either, by the way. Right. That Yes. <laughs> not a good mix. Yeah. Because I've been to Tulum and it feels like quite a wellness kind of like, yeah, you know, like it's, it's very healing and yep. like you can have the opposite to, you would think Tulum would be the opposite to your experience right. of where you were in your life. Well, I think it's wherever you go, there you are, right? Like if you're broken on the inside, you can go to any wellness retreat and still be really broken. Um, yeah. But yeah, and I think, you know, that that specific trip, the sobering thing for me was when I got to the airport in Tulum to fly back to New York, my agent messaged and was like, you've been nominated for inspiring, you know, social media yeah. award. And I was just like, fuck, like what the last few weeks, uh, the last five days, sorry. And, you know, I've been posting, I'm like, that's not, that's not my truth. And if anyone is broken and looking at those photos and it isolates them, then, you know, I need to wrong that, right that wrong. And, um, yeah, it was a very, very sobering moment of how we have to show up. And you literally posted the nomination and were like, you almost called yourself out, right? Well, no, I did. I, you know, I, I put all the photos that I had posted and kind of drew over them with a black Sharpie and was like, if I could, you know, draw what I was feeling, it was, it was this. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. <gasps> that takes bravery. That takes a bit of courage because you're putting, and this is the other thing. I was like, no, like the body shaming that you like it's and you have put captions in the book of like people being like literally like you look so much better, you've lost mm. the chubbiness, and then someone else is writing, you look anorexic, you've effing bit you yeah. fucking bitch. Um someone else is like you think you're a celebrity, but you look really stuck up. Yeah. But I'd still have sex with you and you'd love it. Like, mm. how on earth do you go with like I feel like it's a two-pronged question. One, trolls, but two, like, what are you shaming for a woman? I mean, like, I'm in my mid-30s and I'm still figuring it frigging out. Like, it's so hard because you're always going to be, I always say to people, you're always going to be too skinny for someone and too fat for someone else. So I might as well make myself feel good, of you course, know? like 100%. But I think, well, I don't know, to answer your question, the trolls in that instance and the scene that I, I write about that in, um, and it's just the diversity, right, of you know, someone being like, you've got blood on your hands because you should be empowering women, but you're so anorexic. Separate to that, I was going through such a bad time in my life. I physically couldn't, couldn't eat. I'd lost so much weight. I was barely holding it together. Um, You know, then you get a message being like, your body goals, you look amazing. And then you're like, fuck you. You think you're this, you think like, it's just like this rollercoaster. You're like, okay, I'm not even sure, you know, which, which one is truth at that point. Um, and I think at that time in my life, I was so broken and so numb. I honestly didn't even absorb them. They were just like things that would pop up on my phone and I, I just had no capacity, I th- probably for the best at that time, to not absorb them. Um, as it relates to body shaming in any capacity, I think as a society, you know, when we see the uh, Instagram, when we see these overfiltered and mm. Photoshopped and I think the difference back, you know, we've always seen Photoshop, right? Like, But I think the difference back in when I say the day before pre, you know, social media, yeah. we would see a Vogue magazine and there's something in us that was like, okay, I know there's been a production of people working on this image. Totally. That it's been retired. Like it's that wasn't kind of uncommon to us. But now you, you you pick up Instagram, you're like, oh, there's my auntie with her dog and there's my mum in her rose garden. Oh, and there's a bikini photo. Like the, the, the differentiation between what is produced art or, you know, in whatever form versus this Instagram feed, like what's where, – where in our mind does it be like, okay, well, that's art and that's real and then how do you separate what's yeah. filtered, what's not? Does yeah, that make sense? totally. So. And like you said, like even um, this beautiful book cover, but like I shot my book cover a few weeks ago, it's all hands on deck, mate. Totally. Like it's like it's, – It's a production. You don't wake – like I don't – I sure as hell don't wake up. And I think – uh, it's so good that you called that out as well, but it is hard when people have got apps on their phone, they can make their photos look a certain way and it's just, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a beast. But it's I, a beast, but it's also it's, we normalise it and I think, you know, it takes 
not very long to normalize something. And when we normalize, it becomes our truth, not the truth, but like our truth. And then what our truth is quickly becomes our reality. So if you're scrolling on Instagram and something doesn't have a filter, you're almost like, oh, that's you around here. Like that's, you know, that yeah. interrupts the, which is really fucking bad. Like that's, yeah. a, that's a bad existence to normalize. Big time. And I think you're so freaking good at calling it out. Like I, not just in the book, but also on Instagram. And I wanted you recently ish uh posted about your body and and how it would has fluctuated from a size mm-hmm. 8 to a size 14 you open up about endometriosis yep. about freezing eggs mm-hmm. uh and you know like for anyone listening like freezing eggs you're injecting yourself with hormones daily right yeah i actually the week i was doing those hormones i also did the audio read for my book so i'm like you know doing these hormone injections which kind of you know throw you a bit and yeah. then i'm in the studio like reading the darkest times of my life i was like well this is an emotional read isn't yeah, it <laughs> so yeah. you will hear it differently on the audio book but um yeah it's it's you know the the, the female body i'm going to say is yeah. just incredible like yeah. what she does for us how she continues to show up for us when we treat her with such bullshit behavior sometimes it's yeah. it's remarkable i also saw an article and i it really resonated with me personally and you're like I don't know yet if I want to have kids mm-hmm. and I'm 35 and people write to me on Instagram like, why haven't you frozen your eggs yet? Why aren't you engaged yet? Why aren't you this wow. yet? <laughs> and I had to call it out. One day I did a live and I was like, can you stop following me? I said, anyone that's going to write to me about why I haven't frozen my eggs yet, yeah. why my boyfriend hasn't proposed yet, like I'm actually, I'd rather you don't follow me because. Good for you. But what, like what would, because it is so full on what you went through to freeze your eggs, but like. When what made you kind of come to that moment where you're like, you know what, I want to do this for me. But what I loved about the interview, you're like, it's also okay not to know mm. if you want to be a mom. Yeah, like you, that brought me so much solace. Oh, I'm glad I because I think you know, and when you talk about people texting you and asking you all these things, they're asking you that off a framework that either works for them, might not even work for them, but there it's this traditional framework of like, well, you meant to meet someone at this time, you know, have kids, get married by this yeah. time, have kids, do this with your career, tick to like, is this like archaic traditional framework. Totally. And so when, and you know when it does something doesn't sit right with you, you're just going to live your whole life just not feeling in alignment with, with yourself or with, you know, what you're meant to be here doing because we so often, and I truly don't think in our lifetime we will see it, at, you know, to be able to live without some haunting of, of that traditional framework and whether yeah. that's, you know, and even those people messaging you probably are struggling with it themselves. It's yeah. someone else's framework. Yeah. But that's that was being, I've done a lot of um, talks around International um, Women's History Month this month. Yeah. And I'm like, that's the one thing we've got to do is strip away that framework. It's not your mum's story. It's not society's story. It's not religion's. It's what you want to do. A million percent. I guess I interviewed someone on the podcast, Zoe Tarakis, who's an amazing mm. actor, non-binary. Yep. And uh, and I was like, oh, like I, I study acting as well and I'm like at 35 I got told I'll only be able to get like young roles for another few years and it's, after 38 you get cast as just a mum, like that's all you get cast as. And Zoe was like, no, that's not true. That's the world needs to change and it gave me so much hope and I feel the same about like, I feel like our generation will be the last generation where you're expected. I hope so. To white picket fence, right. two kids, be married by a certain age, do this, this and this. Because and this is what I love so much about your story. You've paved the way for just like you, I feel like you've felt this passion within you and you're like, I'm going to go after this because this is what my heart is telling me to do. You've been broken along the way. You've been effed over along the way, people have tr- tried to take so much of you and you've just stayed co- consistently true to yourself and true to your story. And I love that. That isn't a question, I know. But <laughs> That's very kind of you. I think, you know, there's a story I share in there and I, I won't tell it now, but uh, where I didn't trust my intuition on the brand and, you know, nearly bankrupted us in in one season. Um, and so, and I think you're very kind to say that I have stayed true to myself, but that it's, it's a struggle every time. Like I talk about a relationship breakdown there and, you yes, know, when my self-worth yes. wasn't aligned with my professional self-worth. So um, I I think in the book I've written it to the lessons I've learned to stay true, but it's it's hard along the way. It's it's we, we veer away from our true self and that's when we find ourselves, I think, in the most – 
uncomfortable within ourselves. And I did want to ask a little bit about that, mm-hmm. what you share about that heartbreak. And I think as a female, like when you, when you find out someone's cheating on you, uh, it's so confronting and it makes you, I think it makes you value your self-worth because if someone else is cheating on you or can't love you, you're like, well, I can't love myself. What's totally. wrong with me? And you're, I think... I'd love for you to talk about like that moment where you were, um, you'd found out that there'd been over at least eight cases of being cheated on and your response was kind of like, stay with me. So I think that's the, and I think that's the thing about finding out a truth, right? You know, when you're like, I know I need to know more information, but once I find it out, I can't unknow it. So you kind of hover around this like no fly area (laughs) of just, you know. And so I sat down in front of my, I'd found out he was cheating on me and just, I was completely ruined and, you know, having a really rough time with it and sat down in front of him and said, you know, how long has this affair been going on? And he turned to me and he said, which one? And I said, well, how many have there been? And he said, at least eight. And it was in my response to him because, you know, I so publicly, this was in 2015, and yeah. so publicly I was about women, I was about women's empowerment, about supporting yeah. women in their career, like 100% self-worth in my career as it related to that. And then I turned to him and I said, please don't leave me. And I, you know, I yeah. pretty much begged him to and, um, you know, he just got up and, and, and walked over me and walked out the door at that time. But, you know, when I look back on that, I'm like, man, my self-worth, my personal self-worth and my professional self-worth were so out of alignment. And what was coming up on my path, required, which was to launch the Samantha the Wills Foundation to, yes. you know, help women in yeah. business, support women in business, those align, those self-worth, professional and personal, yeah. needed to be in alignment. And that was the work I had to do and peel myself up. And I think, again, Jeff, you had a phone call with him and he was like, buddy, I'm so sorry. But it was like you are loved, you will get through. And and I love it's just like this really fucking sucks. Yeah. But you will get through this. Yeah, you're supported. You've got, you know, by this time we had, you know, an incredible team and and everything and he's like, but I don't know, Jeff is such a realist and he's just like it can be shit. Like just it, not like it's going to yeah. be fun. Like it's not like this yeah. hype cheerleader. It's like, hey, it is going to be shit for yeah. a bit. And I'm like, oh, how freeing to be like, it's okay to, it's shit. It's okay to not know if you want to have kids. It's, it's okay yeah. to be in that, you know, shit zone for a bit or unknown zone or whatever it is. Like I think on, you know, Instagram, and I hate to keep talking about Instagram, but nah, it's like good. we live in this like, you know, be your best self and hustle and do, do I'm like, that's great, you know, yeah. on, a, on a great day. But, you know, and that's when I first wrote the book, my working t- first working title was Public Brand Private Life. And ah. what I really wanted to, to do was tell the human element of what goes on in between those because it's humans doing business, it's humans yeah. building brands. Um, as a, you know, female creative founder, there's a lot that it takes to to sacrifice to to do that yeah. and i think you know putting that human element behind um in in my case the, the entrepreneurial journey yeah. it's like we've got if we're going to be posting these things on instagram about live your best life and yeah. you know hustle 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 I'm like cool but the reality is some days are going to be shit and that's okay and also weren't you doing at one stage like six weeks in new york 10 days in sydney like that yeah. was your life that was my life for nine years that's me- amazing though, oh, but it's a, lot. <laughs> it's a lot, but like living, I think as a designer, like living that, you're living the iconic American mm. dream as well as keeping the Australian one. But I, I, I don't know how you, you needed to have like five versions of yourself yeah. to be able to have a private life as well, I imagine. I think I know what your answer to this might be, but I want to see what it is. What has been the hardest decision that you've had to make in your career? Um, I think you'll think it's closing the business. Yes, that's what I thought. <laughs> I was like, she's going to take me there. <laughs> Welcome. Um, it's That's the biggest decision I've yeah. ever made, but it was the calmest by the time that I got to that crossroads to make it. Having said that, the two years leading up to it were a personal turmoil for me. So yeah. I think, you know, as you know, as a creative person, you live off this lifeblood of, you know, inspiration and there's a flicker yeah. in you somewhere that, you know, when you're creating and what you're doing and you love it and it's it's all great. And, you know, by, the, by 2016, I had designed – probably about 11,000 pieces of jewellery. So the concept of creative yeah. block to me was not uncommon, you know. Mm-hmm. it's So I'm like, all right, well, I noticed that light's dimming a little bit, but it's just creative block, like just mm-hmm. keep moving through. 
six months in, another, you know, another six mm. months a year in. And I'm like, okay, this is just like getting less and less. So mm. at that time I was, you know, I could design jewelry with my with my eyes closed at that point. So I'm designing with my hands, but not with my heart. And by the time I got to mid-2018, I was just like, I need, I need to get this creativity, but I can't live like this as a creative person. It just felt hollow inside. And um, I created some space. I went to a, an upstate thing in New York, to a retreat, just to kind of take a week and just try and – my goal going there was I need to get this creativity back. How, how do I tap back into that? And in creating space in, you know, physically and mentally, I allowed, I think, these ideas because Elizabeth Gilbert talks about the fact that there's ideas always floating around us that mm. is waiting for a, a place to land. Mm. And at that time I, I cleared space and I just had this clarity around it, it's time to close. Like it was an instant and it was calm and mm. it was it was felt. And I was like, it's time to close. And I didn't even know that was an option for me, to be honest. So um, every morning after that I kept it to myself for two weeks mm. and every morning I would wake up and ask myself how I felt about it, not what I thought about it because, you know, when you put it through that thinking filter, there's no logic t- to that decision but it felt right and oh. you can't fake a feeling is, yeah. is the best advice I can give anyone. Like go back to, you know, you can you can talk yourself out of anything but you cannot fake a feeling. Oh, I love that. And you've got a photo in the book of the moment you made that call and it's like this beautiful, serene, green. Crossroads. Yeah, Yeah. beautiful. So so you come to terms with that feeling but then you've got all these staff that you probably, knowing Mm -hmm. if you're heart-driven, which you are, you probably care so much about, you've got all this success, like how do you then pluck up the courage to be like, right, we're doing this. Well, I think in answer to your question before, that's that was the hardest. And obviously the decision had already been made, but to show up in front of, you know, probably 45 people at that time and and be like, hey guys, I've made a decision. I don't want to do this anymore. We're closing is that was really, really tough. And um complete credit again to Jeff who took the logistical um side of that. And you know, he really fought from the start, didn't fight because no one was fighting it, but like he he stood up, he was like, all right, we need to remunerate the entire team above and beyond, you know, for this decision. So, um, you know, most uh, long-time staff got $20,000 as a, you know, as a base payment yeah. just to be like, you know, thank you for your, your time and your yeah. service. Um, and he was like, whether they leave tomorrow or they leave in the six months when we close, yeah. like we'll support you whatever you need. So, yeah. Um, and, you know, to their credit, and I'll never, I remember sitting in the boardroom just bursting into tears, like explaining the emotion of the journey mm. of, and the decision. And they just were so supportive. Like, you know, I'm essentially sitting there telling them I'm, I'm, yeah. they don't have a job anymore. Yeah. And they were just so supportive. And I think that's, you know, I often say when, you know, you have a so modestly name a brand after yourself, the people that come and choose to work alongside of you and building your dream, that's, a, that's an act of grace. So those people were just hand on my heart incredible. Oh, and believe like believed in everything that you were about as well. Like yeah. these are people you had the same in yoga. There's a word called dharma, uh-huh. and it's your purpose, like yes. your calling. And yep. so you had that same like common dharma where the dharma was to be on that journey with you for that time. Definitely. For people listening that are like, okay, okay, like, <laughs> what's next? Like, take me through, like. From that moment, because that was two, was that 2019? When we closed? Yeah. Yeah, so we closed on January 11th, 2019. 11's a lucky number too. I know, I chose 11. So. Did you? And it was it was surreal, <laughs> you know, like at five o'clock we turned the website off and it was just like Samantha Wills is now closed after 15 years. And I liken it, do you know that final scene in Cheers when they ended yeah. and they turn the light off in yes. the bar and it just like fades to black? Yes. Yeah, it was, it was a bit like that. <laughs> Such an 80s child to say yes. like I- <laughs> Um, and then so take me through kind of like because obviously COVID's then happened mm-hmm. as well. Um, you're like oh, there's a beautiful photo in the book as well where you're speaking on stage to women inspiring them. You've got these intense abdominal pains, mm-hmm. figuring out, you know, that there's a health situation going on as well, which was just kind of touched on. But like take me through from then to now, like, ah. Uh. Yeah, well, I mean, when I started writing this book, it I had a company, you know, like I wasn't closing. Yeah, so yeah. it was like a plot twist of my own yeah. doing. So it was meant to be just a straight business memoir. Um, so after we closed, you know, I was still in New York, so I was back and forth uh, still, you know, I had some yeah. stuff was tying up and 
And then we're meant to release this book in March 2020 and obviously the world changed and they wanted to tour the book. So we were like, let's push it back a year. Um, And in January of 2020, I was in an OR having an operation for to treat stage four endometriosis and to removal of two fibroids the size of oranges. But the lead up to getting to that OR was a long and stubborn and dismissive one on my behalf that, you know, my body every month was just getting worse and was just screaming Mm. out to me. Mm. And I just, you know, I would numb her with as many neurofins as I could take. I would, you know, curse her for, you know, this Mm. you know, for the inconvenience essentially. And I liken it now that, you know, if your best friend was screaming every month, you know, you'd help her. If your your dog was like in agony for 10 days a month, you would do whatever you could to stop that pain. But I'm like, I couldn't offer myself that same empathy. And, you know, as we do, we move it to, oh, when I'm not so busy, I'll get to that. Mm. Or, you know, you know, I'll put it on the list and I'll get to it tomorrow, which is the elusive tomorrow list. Mm. Um, but, yeah, when I finally got into that doctor's surgery, the the surgeon was just like, this is not good. Mm. And, you know. The orange, en- that's huge. Two oranges, yeah. So, mm. yeah. And, and, you know, March is Endometriosis Awareness Month and yeah. I think, you know, this disease, there's no cure for it. It affects one in ten women. Mm. We're not educated on it because some medical professionals aren't even educated on mm. it, and we just need to be normalising the conversation around women's totally. health. And um, we're very passionate about that. But yeah, ended up in the OR and feel you know to get a diagnosis. I think after something that's plagued you yeah. for so long is one. I felt relieved, but also ashamed that I had you know probably six years I had known something wasn't quite right, but I just pushed on. And um, yeah, it's no way to treat your body. So uh, thank you so much for sharing that because I know that that would be would have been especially at the time so confronting to go through as well. And then after that, so after that was when you decided I'm going to freeze my ex. Mm-hmm. So I essentially um, went to the doctor to talk about egg freezing. Yeah, and again, something I had been meaning to do but yeah. I had always put off. Went into the doctor and I was like, oh, you know, while I've got you, I could barely stand up straight and I was about to pass out from um, cramping. I was like, I just think something's not right with my period. And she's like, okay. She goes, maybe we need to get you to a specialist, hey. So, you know, it's those things that, you know, they bring us to to where we're meant to be. But, yeah, I definitely went in talking about something different. Um, After the endo operation, I had to wait six months before I could revisit yeah. the egg freezing, and yeah, then and went that did that process in December of twenty twenty yeah. last year. That's so, a big year. That's a big, a big year. year for your body, <laughs> yeah, like physically, yeah. to go through all of that. It's that's definitely. huge. And you know, and um, you know that post that you're saying before fluctuating between a size eight and fourteen. Yeah. Um. So I had a marina. Um. They recommend a marina for the yes. type of endo that I had as a treatment. Um. It's not for everyone, but I. Uh, it's been really great for me. Um, and so you, that, you know, that does weight fluctuations, yeah. you, you know, it's got to settle into your body. So the first one months were pretty dark, you know, mental yeah. health wise. Yeah. So again, I'm going to say the female body is just exceptional, just mm. truly, truly exceptional. What comes next? Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited for the next chapter. Like what, this book is already flying and I can't wait to see it continue to fly mm-hmm. and anybody listening to this. I actually, when I did my um, unboxing, I had people writing to me going, oh, my God, tell me all about it. Like, oh, I really, yeah. So, Thank you. like, I, um, I, I know that it's, I'm sure it's already going gangbusters, but I cannot wait to see where it goes. You will... You have to take this internationally. So I think, you know, I, I look at the book now and I'm like, even though they're my stories on the ink on the pages, if if anyone sees a part of themselves or their experience, yeah. I'm like, they're no longer my story. They're our stories, right? Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of storytelling yeah. around that connection. And so now I look at the book as a, as a separate entity. It's, you know, I'm like, I'm going to follow her where, where she leads, yeah. I will follow. So I hope she, you know, I know she's got a path that she will go on. Um, I would love to see her adapted outside of pages in some way, yeah. in whatever format that looks <gasps> like. Imagine a movie. Imagine a movie. Oh, my. I love that. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and, you know, and I'm also uh, doing a lot around, um, if that's the story of, you know, entrepreneurship, I'm also doing a lot with tangibly handing over, you know, our company documents documents and things, you know, in an educational format. So we'll be doing ah. a masterclass, um, doing some online workshops on samanthawills.com ah. and, you know, storytelling in different formats. But um, ah. that's that's what the future is for me at this minute. Because yeah. from the very beginning, you've been a storyteller. I think, you know, and I, I say jewellery was never like my one true love. It was 
the vehicle that allowed me to tell stories and to create and, you know, not only through the pieces, through the campaign, through, you know, every touch point. But, yeah, that's what I see myself as first and foremost. I have to say something really funny but weird. So um, I heard on a podcast you want to be a dolphin trainer. My dream was to be around orca whales and that was my young and obviously I know like animals should totally not be kept in captivity now Now, but like you know as a kid free willy was massive I'm not going to sea world you're like I know it's yeah that was definitely the big dream I just wanted to let you know similar (laughs) similar dreams there uh and then I have to ask as somebody that just and and obviously traveling is something that we don't really get to do at the moment with COVID stuff uh as somebody that just absolutely loves New York, can you just tell me like your favourite thing and it can be as simple <laughs> as like I get a bagel from here. Like, yeah. Um, I love that there's just something always open. Like you yeah. can get, I, I love that energy. It doesn't, it never feels like you're alone in New York. Yeah. Even um, it's, there's just an, and I like that, you know, you go there and everyone's there to, it's not, it's not a cheap city to be in by any means. So everyone's yeah. kind of working hard. They're there to better themselves or their career. And it's like this energy current that everyone's kind of moving in this one direction. But people grab you along the way being like, come with you, know, let me introduce this person. And yeah. it's just like this electricity in the city, um, which I just love. Um Terrible coffee. There's terrible yeah. coffee there. So you know, if there was one um, Carva in the uh, right near my house in the West Village was yeah. was the good coffee I found. Um, but it's just magic. Yeah. yeah, it's. I love the way you said the electricity. I would describe it the same. Like right. there is this. It's like the moment your feet hit that ground, yeah. the energy flips. Yeah. It just feel it feels fast. Yeah. It feels, and I mean this in the best kind of way, like more dog eat dog. Like you beat, totally. you're on point, you go, you like if you don't walk through that door, someone opens, it'll close in your face. Like, doesn't, and they don't care. It doesn't yeah. care if it's in the face. I describe New York as a cruel mistress where I'm like she beats you up but you just keep coming back for more yeah. somehow. And I think, you know, it's very um, – evident there as an Australian, the Australian way of downplaying yourself does not fly there. It's Anywhere like, in America because no. they believe you. If yeah. you're like, oh, no, I've just um, just – I haven't done that much. But in America you're like, I'm like, yeah, I've written 10 books. And they're like, you have? Oh, amazing. Where can I get it? Totally. Like they will believe what you tell them in the purest sense. So if you're in there being like, oh, you know, I'm I'm probably not that good, but I could give it a go. They're like, if you're telling me you're not that good, like I'm going to wait for someone who's telling me they're good. So it just – and New York is the epitome of that. It's like there's no time to fuck around. It's like go in and sell yourself and and have a go. Yeah. Oh, Samantha Wills, you are absolutely phenomenal. Anybody listening to this podcast, go out and get yourself a copy of Samantha Wills, a memoir of a creative life of golden dust. This is beautiful. I'm going to ask you to sign it for me now. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me on. Big love. That's a wrap on another episode of Fearlessly Failing. As always, thank you to our guests. And let's continue the conversation on Instagram. I'm at Yummo Lollaberry. This potty, my word for podcast, is available on all streaming platforms. I'd love it if you could subscribe, rate, and comment. And of course, spread the love. Mm-hmm.